Uh, it's complicated. Uh, I don't even understand it myself, but uh, just trust me. Will it hurt? Hello, and welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only podcast to know that you're not sated till you're quaded. I am Jeb Lund, a robotic arm that takes two minutes to move microchips a distance of 14 inches, and with me as ever is your co-host, a woman whose capacity for filmic digestion can skeletonize a plot in seconds, Sarah D. Bunting. Literal finger gun. I liked that. It, this was this was fun. It was nice to go back. Yeah, to it was. Space. I started it and I was like, this shit was two hours? <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. But then... I could see a couple of places where you could cut it to get it down to 149, but it's fine. Like it, during certain boring chase scenes starring that bad guy who's in everything, just go do something else. Go pee. Get a snack. Yeah, it's good. I liked it. Before we get into the nostalgia, because it for me, it's powerful nostalgia and like also just talking about the film, uh, we do need to do a little kind of podcast business, namely... It's been our homework now for, I think, 14 weeks, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't count the off-season. Have you digested in any way any Denissance content? Uh, there is not a tiny skeletonized Denissance floating in my brain stomach. Lost control of that. Um, here's the actual answer. No, I haven't. How about you? <sighs> I've been trying to work my way up to it. I think I'm, I think I'm there. Um, ready to kind of talk a little bit about this. Um, oh, so I, okay. I, I queued up a, a, a clip. As I said in the previous week, I don't know if people remember this. I have listened to exactly 26 seconds. I would like you to hear that uh, if we can play the clip. Um, the clip, which I have not listened to yet. That's right. I'm hearing it along with all of you at Jeb's request. Uh, it is exactly 20 seconds. It's 0.3 seconds shy of 26 okay. seconds. So... Um, this is as build. Let's begin our journey together. The Denisons, oh, the Denisons, the busiest in the biz. You do know who it is. It's Dennis Quaid. That's him. Hey, I am uh, Jared Goodstadt, the co-founder and CEO of Audio Up, and I'm here with my partner, uh, Renaissance Man, and now Denisons Man, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, nice. Where did you record that? Your fucking podcast cavern, asshole? This is where I had to punch out, and you can see why. You lasted about 27 seconds longer than I would have. <laughs> like, the dinosaurs. Oh, what is happening? Why is it happening? Why is the band from Overboard... <laughs> <laughs> like, is this a condition of that dude's parole? Like, the only song I know is Jim Dandy. Too bad. Sing this. Okay. What the fuck is that? And then... Well, I think that's him. Cut to... Oh, my God. That's horrible. Don't sing your own theme song. Don't sing it in third person. That All of that is bad. And then... Did, did that person, who's not Dennis Quaid, refer to himself as the CEO? Yeah. Of what? Diving Bell Industries? He sounds like he's in a can. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> CEO of having his head up his fucking ass. Yeah. Like also the just the would be clear- a lot better up his ass. Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. It would be muffled for one. Yeah. Um, Jesus. like the clearly like hitting the leg of the table that he was sitting at when he was recording, <laughs> like just wanging it with his foot and they're going like, you know what you are, you're six seconds into this monologue. Keep it. Just keep going. I, oh my God. I really, I completely understand why you had to take a couple of weeks to get ready to, to address this. I think I said so on, you know, like the second episode or whatever of this season, like I was walking the dog and I put it on and I was like, well, I'm about to be, you know, like it's, it's beautiful. I can look at clouds. I can look at, you know, some wetland near me. I can see animals, but you know, every now and again, you're like, well, I do this three times a day. I'm kind of getting bored of it. And uh, so I, I listened to a podcast and I got into that guy's first break and literally just ripped the headphones out of my phone because I wasn't going to be able to like find the the stop it button <laughs> fast enough. Like just so I didn't hear any more of it because like, I mean, first, you know, we can talk a little bit about like Dennis Quaid, like when when Paul McCartney would do his like black voice, like that seems clearly like Dennis was like, you know, if I get a little swerve on, I can do a little Delta blues like, you know who it is. It's Dennis Quaid. You know, like, yeah, okay, like, great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bobby White Bland. Right. Um, you know, you can get past that because like, you know, I, I can and, and I can tell like the lyrics are... <laughs> Like it, I'll, I'll give him credit for rhyming biz and is like, there's some, there's a little work rate in there, but you get the sense that like, you know, he was driving and he's like, what's my podcast name? I got to write a song for it. Like the Denissance, the Denissance. He's like, great. Two lines down. Denissance, Denissance does whatever a Denissance does. We won't know because it sucks. Something that rhymes with Fox. Look out. Uh, see, fix that it's for you. Dan is Quaid. Like, <laughs> I, I think listeners should also understand the amount of dialogue that you and I have just about plosive filters to make <clears throat> this podcast, and then for you to listen to that and not feed your entire phone and the headphones and Dennis Quaid to the dog really showed some restraint. Like, uh, yeah, I mean. That's like insulting, I think, really. I think part of it is like getting distracted by the... I mean, it helps, right? Like to get distracted a little bit by the the theme song. Because you're like, is this is this being sung by Billy Crystal's jazz man character? You know? And, <laughs> and then you come into this and like your brain barely has time to register that the CEO of the like hosting company... Oh my God. That the Denissance appears on has so little respect for the product that he produces... That he's like, you know what, fuck it. I'll just sit at this computer table, wang the fucking leg of it while talking into my iPhone cord. You yeah. know, you're if you're going to bill yourself as a CEO, you should sound like somebody who has like $500 lying around to get a condenser mic. Yeah. Shit bird. So I'll let you know how the other 26 seconds goes. I'm not ready to go up to like a full minute, but I think like by maybe the next episode, I can get another, I can double my my length so far. Don't hurt yourself, seriously. Because I would have just thrown the whole world into a canal. <laughs> that's really, that's really aggressively, insultingly terrible product. Awful. I'm working my way up to it, but I figure if I, if I do it like a small enough reps, I think I can double my gains by the next episode. So by the time we get to the movie The Rookie, you'll have listened to nine and a half minutes, basically? You know, I don't want to rush. <laughs> I don't think you should. 
Speaking of plugging into the middle ear. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, speaking of plugging into the, uh, the Quaid experience, um, Inner Space from 1987, which I did not know was that old. For some reason, I thought it came out like right before I, I left the state. It was transporting for me. So I feel like all of my, all of my responses to this are going to be kind of like elevated rating wise by that gauzy feeling of nostalgia because I grew up in the Bay Area and everything that they shot everything that they was used in this down to like the models of cars like i rode in it was just it was almost i imagine like if you you were alive in the 60s in san francisco it was like watching zodiac (laughs) (laughs) although like much less terrifying um but it was just like oh uh, this i remember when all the safeways looked like that (laughs) oh i i mean i thought it was kind of weird I guess I thought it was kind of weird that he would live there, that that character, Tuck Pendleton, would live in San Francisco or slash right. could afford on an armed forces salary to live in San Francisco. But granted, it was the mid 80s. So I don't know. Yeah, it could have been a small place. I mean, you know, I had artist family who had their own place in San Francisco at that time. So it's possible. I wonder what a Navy pilot would be doing there. I mean, well, maybe if I mean, you were that's down That's what at, I mean. Like, why aren't you... Yeah. Shouldn't you be in San Diego? Yeah, or Monterey at the very or least. Nevada, uh, I don't know. Moffat Airfield is, I think, just a test field because it's right next to the Ames Research Center. So I don't think that they have any service affiliation anymore. So I can't really remember if there's anything there. I mean, the Presidio is Army. Uh, but yeah, there's not like you have to go up to like Sacramento or down to Edwards for the Air Force and you go to Monterey or San Diego for the Navy, if I remember correctly. Well, Presidio so Presidio was odd, decommissioned but. by then anyway, yeah. Yeah, Wasn't pretty it? much exclusively for uh, for films at that point. Uh, yeah. Sean Connery. Uh, <laughs> I think Clinton in his first term decommissioned the Presidio. So I don't think it was, that was until like 94. You know what? That's but, right. Because I think when I was there with my family in 87, actually, um, we did go to see my mother's old house when she lived there, which was late fifties and it was still active then. I think, I think the PX had like people coming in and out of it, but it wasn't much after that. I think they had already decided to decommission it. They just hadn't actually done it yet. It it was, it was almost entirely administrative. Even from my first memory was like, it was just sort of like a national park at that point. And then something where brass would have like an official office there. Right. Well, and now some of the, um, some of the officers quarters they just sort of like let nature take it which is kind of interesting the last time i was there i was like dang that's all ivy okay it's like and this is the living room where we have it jesus that's a cypress <laughs> yeah something like that so anyway, nostalgia aside <laughs> this has been the frisco tourism board as heard in our last episode so nostalgia aside like i expected this to be a lot cornier and more like cloying uh, and more trying Same. in my patience because I'm an adult and it started out that way because I, I kind of felt like, Oh, you're going super broad here. And this is kind of preposterous. And I get why you would think this is funny, but this is lazy funny to me. But ultimately that wound up setting the tone for what wound up like just being like a multiplicity of plots and elements that for whatever reason works. Yeah. At least for me. It still worked. As I said, it started and I was like two hours. How? This is not that high a concept, but I kept like I was watching it was not totally, but partly an eye to like, well, you know, this section could go. 
And there are a couple scenes that are like, this is a very 80s, like anti-capitalist, anti-anti-government like thing like you can you can tell she's bad because she has red nail polish on kind of characterizations that are very 80s and then there's a lot of slapstick and like shit that they're doing that you're like why um but at the same time like there's a lot of cool effects martin short is like perfect for this I, i don't know like everything that i remembered about it which is that it wasn't um you know, it wasn't great art, but it kept the line moving. That's pretty much it. Like, I, I think that this is a perfectly ad, like, this is a strong B, this movie. And he is so quady in it. Um, but first, the, the, plot. the line <laughs> that my brother and I still are repeating to each other periodically after, you know, decades of uh, having seen this movie dozens of times. I don't know why it was this one, but it is usually when somebody has gas. I'm in here inside you, inside your body. Oh God, somebody help me. I'm possessed. Every Thanksgiving, there's a side dish, it's creamed onions, it's a Hoosier staple, and about an hour and a half after dinner, you're going to hear this line, bunch of times, I'm possessed. So good. It still was just really, I don't know, I hate the words propulsive and kinetic in terms of like referring to movie plotting, but it's both of those things. It's fine to look at. It doesn't look as cheap as you think it should. Quaid and Ryan are cute. She has so much gel in her hair. I kind of felt a little sorry for her and was wondering how she could physically lift her head. But that character, like whatever, Meg Ryan, investigative journalist, LOL. But she's like pretty plucky. Maybe after after Ann Osborne in our previous episode, I was just relieved to see a woman with some agency. But the movie has a sort of sense of wit about itself. Like when he's journeying through his ex-girlfriend, soon to be wife, spoiler, and realizes he is in Lydia and then comes across the baby. There is like a little soundtrack signature of the, of uh, the 2001 theme Mm -hmm. that uh, I don't think I ever noticed before. And of course you have to do it, but they did it and they didn't overdo it. Right. So, yeah, this was I was like you bracing to be disappointed as an adult with a property that absolutely was wallpaper of the most like interactive and comforting kind of my adolescence. And I wasn't so good for you, Space. So before we get into the contemporary reviews, so people, I assume everybody has probably seen this, but we should do a plot just so they know what happened. Uh, We've already referred to quite a bit of it. But in brief, Jack Putter, Martin Short, is a hypochondriac coward working a register at a Safeway between being cucked by his co-worker and exploited into the grave by a curiously not Nazi-dressed Henry Gibson. (laughs) Very interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tuck Pendleton, Dennis Quaid, is a dipsomaniacal Navy fighter who humiliates himself in public and is totally disrobed by Lydia Maxwell, Meg Ryan, breaking up with him and speeding off in a cab. 
Cut to later, as Tuck is now involved in a super-secret miniaturization project, a la The Fantastic Voyage, which immediately succeeds and immediately goes awry as an attempt at industrial espionage sends the experiment's inventor injecting Tuck into not a rabbit, but into Jack Potter. From there, Tuck and Jack enlist Lydia's help in figuring out what happened, evading the baddies, and getting Tuck out of Jack and back to normal size before his air runs out. Along the way, we get legendary character turns like Robert Picardo as the cowboy, a bisexual booted assassin who loves to dance. Fiona Lewis as Dr. Margaret Kanker, a member of a rival organization who loves inappropriate sexual touching and powered sex toys that work on mechanical hands. And Kevin McCarthy as Victor Eugene Scrimshaw, a Blofeld adjacent evil mastermind who likes to dress in all white and hang out around modernist desks in abandoned buildings. The plot is way too busy to recap really any further, but Jack learns courage under Tuck's tutelage, and we last see him rejecting his co-worker, his test-happy doctor, and his boss, and driving off along the PCH, and Tuck finally evolves out of his boyishly drunk phase, and all it took was accidentally winding up miniaturized inside his girlfriend and confronting the comparatively giant body of his own baby. <laughs> Happily ever after. Talk about a gender reveal. Oh, yeah, it's the second movie in a row where he gets married in the credits. Yeah. Looks looks good in a tux. You know what? He's playing to his strengths. He he really is. <laughs> so contemporary reviews, uh, Ebert described it as an absurd, unwieldy, overplotted movie that nevertheless is entertaining. And some of the fun comes from the way the plot keeps laying it on. I, uh, I strongly agree with that. Mm-hmm. Janet Maslin in the New York Times says Joe Dante's view of pop culture seems both mischievous and appreciative, and there are times when his film conveys that with great buoyancy. Fittingly enough, one of its key scenes takes place in a shopping mall. At other times, it has a busy and perfunctory tone, one that might have been alleviated by a more streamlined screenplay and a sharper sense of why any of this should matter. I don't think she's wrong there. The fact that we just sort of have like rival spy agencies of like some seriousness and officialness is very man with one red shoe-y. Yeah. You're like, oh, they, so they just, they hang out and just play pranks on each other all the time. Like the CIA and not the CIA. That's like their job. <laughs> yeah. one of them, ha- do they, they have pointy noses and one's all black and one's all white. Like what happens? I, well, yeah, that it's like how this obviously was supposed to be Russians. Why isn't it? <laughs> Couldn't get Dolph Lundgren? Okay, then. And then the review that I thought you might have the most fun with is from Hal Hinson in the Washington Post. He says, The film is never inspired. It's not imaginative enough to be any more than an entertainingly good time, but it's an enormously unassuming, likable comedy and surprisingly uninsistent for a big summer entertainment. Watching it, you feel kindly toward it in perhaps a way you wouldn't with a much more accomplished, polished, slicker piece of work. Without trying, really, it ingratiates itself and makes you want to like it. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, if you think about this being made today, I just think that there would be, uh, I think Martin Short's character would be played by, like Jack Potter would be played by someone that it's like, you know, putting glasses on the nerd girl. It's like, well, she's still hot. Like yeah. the boy equivalent of that. It was like Alton Ehrenreich wearing a shirt that says math. And you're like, oh, he's ugly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just don't think that that particular female lead necessarily exists in Hollywood anymore, that they don't necessarily feel the need to like explain her or locate her or like one of the things that I do enjoy about this movie is that they just like she's pregnant and 
Tuck finds out. And then it's not like this ongoing sort of um, like a constant ticker underneath everything. Like it's something that I remembered about the movie, but like, I think if this were made today, like there'd be some scene of her throwing up first thing in the morning and it's like, oh God, okay. Like, yes, I've watched movies before. I know what that means. Yeah. Or they would feel a need to keep talking about it in like a quippy way while trying to not die, which I like the fact that they found this out and then it was entirely secondary to the process of not dying. Yeah. You're like, that's moving. That's interesting, but it's not going to really mitigate how we're going to keep focused on the whole I'm going to die thing. Yeah, it just didn't need to be, uh, I don't know. I think now a movie would feel an, an obligation to be a certain way with that information. Um, but it's it's interesting to learn that this was supposed to be some kind of big summer blockbuster because I just never thought of it like that. And I feel like it didn't do that kind of business. I mean, I didn't see it in the theater. I don't remember if I did. I probably did just because of my mom's Quaid thing. Um, but <laughs> right. it was one of the first movies to do extremely well in the home video market. And sort of the, it was a surprise, not blockbuster. And the creators like Joe Dante and others have continued to blame the fact that it was really poorly marketed. The title is not reflective at all of what happens. It's not reflective of the tone. I was going to get into this in the, um, a little more in the overall review of the movie, but it, it you know, it's, it's, if you build it as a kids movie, like older kids, you know, like right. uh, sort of the honey, I shrunk the kids age, like 12, 13, people would think that this was like a masterpiece. But since it sort of seems like it's a movie for adults, you're like, well, this movie for adults has pretty unrealistic spy stuff in it. And I'm not really sure that that guy, that cowboy would just incinerate like you just I don't think he'd put out a cigar in his forearm in first class. Just doesn't seem like coach, maybe. You know, yeah, there is like this slapsticky, almost um, like naked gun way that it has about it that does seem like maybe it was marketed not correctly. That it's like it's supposed to be a sophisticated caper, like, well, it's not that. So just cut Dennis Quaid's butt cheeks out of the opening 10 minutes, and then you've got a PG and you're off to the races. Yep. And I think really it was, yeah, just it was meant to be PG-13 and and for whatever reason it it succeeded in spite of the way it was packaged. But, you know, the, the a lot of the cartoonishness of the bad guys and their, their peccadilloes and the ways they get stopped, if you assume that it was aimed at the sensibilities of somebody who's 12, who understands that there are intelligence agencies, but isn't really kind of worried about like an investigative journalist, but isn't really worried about how they obtained their brief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There was one other quote, though, that I wanted to read to you from Hal Hinson in Washington Post, and I thought it was a uh, in, in that review that I thought was a, an excellent quote for the overall purpose of this project. He writes, Dennis Quaid is the movie's premier breeze artist. As an actor, he oozes confidence and self-satisfaction, and in another performer, it might be insufferably off-putting. But Quaid's self-infatuation, his sense of his own charismatic powers, comes across as boyish exuberance. He's a pleasure-giving animal in the way that old star performers used to be. And instead of closing us out and making us feel unnecessary, like, say, Eddie Murphy does. I'm not really sure. I think it's just the timing. Maybe Beverly Hills Cop had just come out. And instead of closing us out and making us feel unnecessary, Quaid's charm invites us to join in the fun. It's infectious. Yeah, absolutely agree. As you will yeah. see when it comes rating time. 
All right, so let's just go ahead and get into ratings time. Let's do, go ahead and do the movie as a whole. How did you feel about it? You sound like you're you're raring to to have a take. Uh, no, I think I had my I had my take. Um, okay. That my quadosity rating might cause some controversy, but I'm locating this one firmly at an eight. It was a big part of my youth. It held up. Could it be shorter? Yes. Is it Citizen Kane? No. But it's an eight. I felt happier having seen it again. I always want you to go first because it makes me feel more comfortable if we're around the same rating, but I hate going second when we have the same one <laughs> because then it makes me like, I, I know I'm a coward. I don't like it looking like I am. Um, same. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I'm always hesitant to throw out tens and I'm not sure this is a nine because there are some bits like if you're going to commit to the, the the miniaturization bit for the villains, like yeah. we could have gone with that earlier and done a little bit more with it. Those effects were great. But, you know, cut down on some of the chases and I'm not sure, like this this movie, like every 80s movie that goes out at night seems to have a vision of what nightclubs are that bears no relationship to anything yeah, on this I earth. I had a note is, about that, that I was like, oh, here we are at the scene that only exists to try to move units of the soundtrack set. Right. It, yeah. It's it's a nightclub where you can, where apparently there are like cafe tables and you can sit down and have a conversation. <laughs> it's the place where everyone goes, but there's no line to get in, uh -huh. and nor is there anybody checking ID. And for whatever reason, as is like a classic with San Francisco, a place where it's routinely like 50 degrees at night in the middle of the summer, mm -hmm. it's like just basically an exposed factory venting steam. <laughs> yeah. At the Coca Cabana, hottest spot. <gasps> Yeah, that that is a very '80s thing, and I'm glad you noted that because I had forgotten that I that I uh, specifically wrote down. Here we are. Like, why are we? Why is this crane shot of the dance floor? We we know what dancing is. Yeah, it's a way of but life. But the other, <laughs> but but the other knock for me was just like the uh, the having Jack and Lydia have like a a brief you know frisson seemed super forced. And if you're gonna have that kind of runtime, you have to flesh that out because. Otherwise, it. I mean, I get, I get that you don't have to have like really supple development in in changes in the arc if you are aiming at like that twelve to fourteen year old audience. I mean, it, it probably works fine. It certainly worked fine on me as a kid. It's like, oh yeah, well, she'd kiss that guy and they'd be like, no, but I'm having his baby. Whatever, we're getting married. Maybe flesh that out a little bit more. That's 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 where mm -hmm. the point really comes from. Fair enough. But you're coming in at an eight anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still great. Still great. But that leaves Quaid. And since you said that this might be, this might knock my, my socks off, blow my hair back. What is the Quaid qua Quaid, the Quaidosity, the Quaidity? I'm going to make film? you go first this time. Sorry, buddy. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say that this is, again, it's sort of uh, like the Big Easy. It, it's a charismatic performance. It's hard to quite gauge, but it's mitigated a lot by circumstance. What he has to do, he, he has to play the drunk too broadly. Uh, we, you and I having, you know, service family experience, we know that shit would never fly. Uh, so it doesn't need <laughs> to be in there. I actually have a clip for that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's more like a seven. I mean, he, cause he has to somehow whip this nerd into shape and fall in love with this woman while in a little like sphere inside the dude and be a, you know, a fully participating character, you know, despite like mainly uh, interacting with FX. And I think he does a great job. Like you know, I remember as a kid thinking he was, uh, you know, he was really badass. And, and in spite of the fact that thinking he's an improbable drunk and kind of overbearing, he still seems pretty badass. So there you go. I agree. Um, 
I'm going to play a clip. It goes to what we've just been talking about. You just reminded me of a time when Tuck wore this chick. Yeah. It was the night we first met. You were doing that article about me, and we had dinner and talked till three in the morning. And I got drunk and threw up and fell down a manhole walking you home. This is one of those lines that, like, plays hilariously when the person watching it is 12 to 15 years old. And then when you unpack it as an adult, you're like, okay, you should have broken both ankles. You went a cesspitous style, first of all. (laughs) Second of all, (laughs) there's absolutely no way you're not dishonorably discharged or sent to, like, the Brig Hospital uh, to dry out. This, But this is a character beat. For him, like, I get why you gave it a seven, but I think this is absolutely, like, right down the fairway of the Quaid brand. Obnoxious, but charming. Brave, but an idiot. You see his butt. His butt is great. I guess it's possible for something to be quadier than this role, but this is like absolutely the basis of my quade crush from being a teenager. <laughs> so I'm giving it a fucking 10. Who will wow. fight me? Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I didn't think about the butt. I mean, and I, I <laughs> it's you? in my notes. It was like quade butt, you know, mm-hmm. right there. I mean, also in my notes is like, why? Did Armatron give a million dollars to this movie? Why did they have the the Armatron like home robotic arm toy as a plot point? But um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, like like the the brave but stupid. I didn't think about like how many of the kind of perfection beats it's hitting. Um, and how many like this is like an adapted Gordo Cooper. Yeah. For like a sci-fi comedy thriller. Like he's a test pilot again, except now he's, uh, I mean, I don't know. Well, damn, if we're not balls to the wall with all American hero types here tonight. I see spacewalkers and moonwalkers and earth orbiters galore. And over here, we have the current cream of the crop, America's best and brightest. It's a good one, eh, boys? Hell, the most excitement I ever have is the time I landed a crippled F-14 with a stubborn nose gear on the deck of a rolling flat top and zero visibility. But you boys, you get to test out these babies. I envy you. Gentlemen, I salute you. <laughs> it's it's really the last bit that's like that's what makes it quady he's like damn it not gonna get a refill i mean yeah. i gotta wait in line again <laughs> i gotta bumble into the kitchen and pee on the i mean these things aren't uh, you know they don't play as um roguish and incorrigibly as they did back then because we just think about things differently than we did almost 40 years ago but i don't know still works for me yeah i think maybe too i was running from that like i'm a little bit stung by that opening like this is so unrealistic and and loathsome and then he's kind of a dick and 
Yeah. Uh, I went to, I'll, I'll put it up to eight. I don't know if I can go all the way. It make, it'll make me seem too pliable. Okay. Well, this is why I wanted you to go first so that, uh, <laughs> so you wouldn't be sucked into the orbit of, uh, of the 10. Yeah. I don't have a lot else. I, I just, you know, before we go, I do want to acknowledge that this is like a legendary Robert Picardo. Yes. Performance. Absolutely. It's so much fun. I forgot that he was in this. And I mean, he has been, you know, the bald Twitter-pated uh, Voyager ship's doctor in mm -hmm. my head for so long sure. now that, you know, you forget that he had a whole bunch of other range. And the, I mean, this guy, like, I mean, the it's partly the character, too. I mean, it's rare that you're like, this international assassin seems like he'd be a good party, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But he does. It's terrific. Yeah. I think that this director was perfectly suited to the material also like yeah, he yeah. he has a he has a memorable way about him he also directed several of these actors in that segment of the twilight zone movie um not the notorious one that killed vic morrow but the one that i was always the most freaked out by which was the girl named sarah who had no mouth um and he also directed gremlins which was a pretty that was another mm -hmm. one that we watched like just a ton on hbo when we were kids and that was like that was a pretty good idea and he got exactly enough out of it. So yeah, he's a good director, I guess. Next time on Quaid in Full, Suspect. In the meantime, don't get short with us, put on some cowboy boots and head over to the hot new show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting the business or want to give us yours? DMs are open and Sarah is standing by. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Harness your inner cowboy's legendary tolerance for pain and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. I make an ass out of myself. What's the big deal? <laughs>